0: Uh, rest and let God produce the fruit in you. Because I think, um, I, I, at least for me, I went through these stages where I was happy. I was really happy. I was secure. I just believed God loved me. And, and everything worked in my life, honestly. It just worked. It's, uh, I didn't have all these weird hangups, And I, I was looking at all my Christian friends. And I, I called myself a Christian because I, I grew up and I did the 13 thing. And, and uh, I was disappointed in the result. But I just thought it was going to be different when I went through that. But I didn't. And uh, But I still, I, I would try to pick up a Bible and it made no sense to me. I was like, what is this? And it just, um, I, I couldn't do it. And so I was like, you know what? It's just easier just to live life. And I'm telling you, I could hear and see God so clearly in that stage of my life. I really could. It was, was the craziest thing. And I don't want to get into my life or whatever. But it's been a great example for me because I watched, I watched all my friends that were typical Christianity, legalistic, uh, 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 promise rings and all this stuff right? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Guess who were the first ones to do it when they got out of their parents' care? Those guys. Because we were putting the pressure on people versus just, he loves you perfectly the way you are. Whether you do this, don't do this, he loves you perfectly. That brings security, in, in my opinion. So anyway, and uh, then I was talking to my friend, you know, Lance Wallnau. Some of you guys know Lance, and we don't agree on everything, but one of the things that what he was talking about is uh, when they were studying it, he, he lives in Dallas, and you know, some of you guys know Dallas, right? All the missions things coming out of there and all the uh, evangelist things and kids things and everything, they have the least transformation among youth. The highest suicide rate, um, the highest drug abuse, the highest teen suicide, the highest uh, teen pregnancy, all these things. Like, and to me, it was obvious, honestly. I was like, well, I can tell you why. You're putting all this pressure on these kids instead of just be you. Just be you and be loved. Is so much more powerful because I think if you tell any... I remember the first time I even, I even heard of this concept that God was angry and he might torture you forever. It was at a youth camp. I was like this pleasant, happy little kid. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, could you put your hand in that if, if something happened to you tonight, could you say where you're going to go? Yeah, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> like I always do. Right? Actually, I lasted my far... The one time I tried to go to youth camp, I lasted two days. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to go play baseball. So... I was about 30 miles away at the youth camp, and uh, no cell phones or texting or anything like that. So I just I told the, the youth counselors, I said, well, I'm getting home one way or the other to go play baseball. I'm either going to walk 30 miles or you're going to call my mom and have her come get me. But I'm leaving. I promise you, you're not going to be able to keep me here. And so, uh, uh, but that was the first time i had ever heard of this angry, scary, if, if you don't make the right decision, could you put your hand in We have this campfire. You've probably all been through this thing. Could you put your hand in there for five seconds? Well, no, that's a stupid question. My mom taught me as a little kid don't touch that, right? But if you don't make the decision, if something happens to you tonight, you're going to go be burned in that for the rest of your life. That, I couldn't even go there. Like, who's that cruel that would do that, right? Does this make any sense to you once you start really thinking about this yourself? But we just bought it hook, line, and sinker. So, anyway. What I want to prove to you guys really is just he loves you perfectly. There's nothing you have to do out of, uh, um, like, if if you can under, if you can, if you look at a healthy marriage, if you look at a healthy father-son relationship, that's the best way to picture who the father, son, and the Holy Spirit are to me, because it's a, it's, it's family, it's relationship, it's perfect love, it's perfect forgiveness, and, and uh, none of us, none of us do it right perfectly, do we? he does it right perfectly and what's so cool to me is when i'm sharing with people now they're like you know i don't know if uh, i don't know if he 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 accepted christ and i'm thinking no the perfect answer now when you talk to him this happened in our car and this lady's like i don't know if my my dad accepted christ and i was like you know what the coolest part is here's what i'm so confident of he accepted your dad Oh, man, the bucket's just coming. The first time they have assurance, and isn't that what he wants? He goes, I've given you two things, my, my word. And Anyway, so here, here's what I think. is, uh, When we're trying to have performance-based Christianity, we get bummed out, we get burned out, we get depressed, we get insecure, etc. cetera. Um, but when you rest, he always produces more fruit, in my opinion. He just, you just chill out and be you. He lives his life through you. So he's not this distant marriage partner that we got to perform to be happy with him. He says, you know what, I, here's what I'm going to do. This uh, how, Here's how simple I'm going to make this thing. I'm going to put a desire in your heart, and then I'm going to willing to do it. So what, what do we get to do? Ride along. That's how simple it is. It really is pretty cool. And so once you get that, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm just going to read a couple things, and we'll go through some parables and... But that's all I really want you to understand is, uh, as I go, because I've been talking about using some of these parables, etc. but if you can't figure out a parable, just flip it 180 degrees what you were taught and you'll get it right. <laughs> Serious. So whatever they taught you in Sunday school, flip it 180 degrees and it'll be pretty accurate. I mean that, because the whole parable was, he was going, it's going to be an unexpected outcome of what you think, right? Now, here's what you also have to understand out of a parable, that Jesus was showing the, the religious leaders at the time, it's going to be different than what you think, but after he died and rose again, he said, and this is what Paul, once he got a hold of it, Paul said this, I don't preach anything but what? Christ crucified. That never made sense to me. I'm like, why, do you, why, do we, why is that so exciting to Paul somehow? But I didn't realize that then Paul, if you read in his other letters, he goes, because if one died, how many died? All died. That's what he was so excited about. Our life was included in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So he goes, but on the third day I rose for your justification. Now you are seated in heavenly places, far above every other principle you'll ever hear about. That's what he was so excited about. that Jesus actually did it. Does that make sense to you guys? So the parables, even the parables now, they're not scary, guys. It's it's uh, he was trying to show them at the time that it's going to be different than what you think. But you know, even like the the uh, Lazarus and the the rich man, right? Somehow we get all of our our theology about afterlife out of this parable. First of all, I go, it's a parable. It's a parable. You don't take all the other parables literally. I can prove it to you. But anyway, but even if there was this great wall of separation, could any of us raise ourselves from the death? No, so there was actually this wall. That's what it said. Jesus had to be the first fruit out of death into life. So there is no separation anymore. There's not this great divide between Lazarus and the rich man. What, what happened was Jesus was trying to show him, hey, Lazarus, The guy who was licking the dog, the dogs were licking his wounds outside of the quote unquote covenant of Israel. He's the one that's going to be in Abraham's bosom. You're not. Is the truth that he's in Abraham's bosom today, even the rich man? Yes, of course. So that's what it's a parable. He's trying to teach them something. Follow me. So you can't take it. Anyway, yeah, I think you guys get this enough, right? If it sounds like any hint of bad news, it's not the gospel, it's not the good news. That's what I've really come to, like, he's good news, he's good news, he's good news. So anyway, I want to uh, read a couple things out of this. Uh, uh, so, You guys have heard me talk about um, the Hyper Grace Gospel by Paul Ellis before. He's got some great books, you don't have to run out and get it. I, I just happened to, something moves me typically during the week, and, and this was actually a couple situations where I was looking at angry Christianity and I saw it play out and I was telling you about some of it in the car today even I was like ah oh, Christians are such jerks. Gosh man. That's why when people go oh you're a Christian? You're a pastor? Let's clarify that. <laughs> it could be fighting words. <laughs> like no I don't want to be called that because that's not who I am. It's, it's, uh, so anyway that doesn't mean a whole lot to me but anyway so <laughs> I love this. The hyper grace gospel a response to Michael Brown and those opposed to the modern grace message. But here is what I would ask you. It says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by what? Jesus Christ. So hyper-grace, how much is too much grace? Where's their standard? Where where does it turn from grace to hyper-grace? Exactly. Exactly. When somebody's enjoying it a little more than you is really where that irritates them, right? And that's what all the parables were about. Hey, I'm going to tell you this thing, you know, there's a... Uh, hey, you guys have worked all day in the sun, and then there's somebody at the end and gets in and does nothing. What's the wages? The same. Oh, that makes Christians mad, right? You mean I've done all this work? It's the it's the older brother or the younger brother? It's all the same. And he goes, what's it to you if I want to give grace to everybody, right? So I just want to read a couple things out of this because I, I find it amusing now. Um, I'm like, well, how much is too much grace? And, and here's, here's what... Uh, I've, I've come to find, really, I was like, you know what, well, let's just be the, the hyper-grace guys because every single person on planet Earth, you and me included, are going to need it at some point. There's something going to happen where all of a sudden our theology gets thrown out of whack and we're going to be begging for mercy and grace. So at the end, and I've shared this with so many people, we're like, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're worried about me because I believe in Jesus and I'm so happy today. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good thing, Right? They're like, something changed. You're all happy. In fact, uh, I think um, Sue Lynn's just left, but she was telling you I'm not going to... She, she told Barb, she goes, I'm not doing anything religious today. I'm the happiest I've been in my life. I was like, praise God. The guys who are praying, fasting, doing... <clears throat> do they happy? No, they're typically bummed out, burned out, depressed, all that nonsense, aren't they? All I'm trying to tell you is it's not performance-based. He loves you perfectly the way you are. So anyway, I want to read this to you. Because um, this is what I think. It's like... Uh, and he says it beautifully and there. He goes, well, if you tell them they don't have to do anything, they're not going to do anything. Is that true? That's a lie, actually. Because they, they don't understand the power of love. Love makes everything work when, you, when you're really radically loved. In fact, what I've found is the people who are just happy with themselves, not worried about all the other things that, we're, that Christians bother themselves with, are typically the happiest, have the, have the, have the best marriages, have the most. Uh, it's typically the people who grew up in, in church that struggle with all these things. And I'm like, that just sucks. I'd rather have you guys have all the happiness, right? So anyway, so here's what he's saying. But if I tell you, but if we tell people they don't have to do anything for God, they won't. Here's his response. Good, they shouldn't because your father's not looking for servants. He's looking for sons. Boys, how true is that? It's not about what you do for him. It's about you, what you and he can do together by himself. The apostle Paul could do nothing, but he and God together change the world Another question is, hyper, hyper-grace believers are too lazy to open their Bibles and read scriptures for themselves. Oh, I'd like to say something there, but I'll get in trouble. Um, don't fall for the line that says reading a certain number of scriptures or praying a certain length of time impresses God. It doesn't in the slightest. The New Testament Christians didn't even have Bibles. Most of them couldn't read. Yet this did not stop them from walking in the Father's favor, setting the world on fire with the good news of Jesus. Is that truth or is that truth? And the more I understand that, I was like, you know what, it's really interesting. Is uh, For 380 years, the, the believers at the time were just like walking by people and they were healed. Well, how could they do it? They didn't have the word of God. They had the word of God. They had Jesus and nothing else. Does that make sense? And so anyway, they, they weren't all worried about this. <clears throat> so anyway, um, another thing. Grace is, ir- Grace is irresponsible for it says we have no responsibility to do anything. We have a duty to serve the Lord that's the mouth of a mixed grace preacher words like responsibility, duty or cattle prods or performance based Christianity they convey a sense of obligation that leaves you debt conscious rather than grace conscious Jesus didn't suffer and die to put you into debt he did it to show you how much he loves you the idea that you're obliged to repay him for his priceless sacrifice is ludicrous what can you give him in consideration for his grace? nothing the instant you gave him anything it ceases to be grace your only duty is to say thank you father hallelujah man in a mixed grace environment, you'll feel pressure to perform, live up to expectations of others, but walk under pure grace and you'll find there's no pressure, only freedom to be who God made you to be. And that that, That's what I'm trying to get you to understand is chill out and just be you. Well, then nothing's going to happen. Well, nothing of the bad stuff that's going on in your life will probably stop, and you'll start to live life. Does that help Anybody? Is he, there's no pressure and so anyway i just want to share some of this stuff with you so anyway so the whole point is hey rest and let god produce fruit in you versus you trying to perform because it doesn't work and so anyway um i just want to read a couple things from you so let's see oh yeah and you guys have all you some of you guys have heard joseph prince talk about this and different things but performance-based christianity cannot bear fruit and that's what the whole fig tree is all about when he cursed the fig tree the word of faith made it into this faith thing. If I have enough tree, the sycamore tree is going to be thrown into the sea. Have you seen any grace or faith preacher tell a sycamore tree to be cast into the sea and it worked? Their beliefs below their unbelief. That's not what he's saying. What is he trying to say there? What he's trying to say is this, is when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They felt guilty. They, they felt vulnerable. Literally what it says, naked literally means vulnerable. Before they didn't feel vulnerable. They were perfectly content to be naked and no issues. But all of a sudden, now they become self-conscious. Oh, no, I'm naked, right? And so what did they do? They covered themselves with what? Fig leaves. And so when Jesus goes into the temple, cleanses the temple, he comes back out and he curses the fig tree. And what does he say about the fig tree? Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. You know where the sea was? Where the dead were. The sea, the abyssos, the, this is what Brad and, and Rabe and Francois and these guys are so good at. Just the history of scripture, and I've learned so much. Just how, how mythology and everything else is, is woven into scripture. And some of you guys know C.S. Lewis. That's how he became a Christian. He goes, wow, this is all like mythology, but this Bible actually happened. Our mythology is real, but it's different. And it's this subversive thing where it's different than what people expected. So anyway, what he was saying is, hey, don't eat from this fig tree because it looks good, but it bears no... So nobody eat from this thing again. Does that make sense to you guys? There were two trees that we had a choice to eat from, weren't there? Don't eat from the fig tree that looks good, that performance-based Christianity, that the good-bad tree, that I am not tree. I have to perform for God to love me. Eat from Jesus alone is what He was saying. So He said, you know what? Nobody eat from this fig tree ever again. It looks good, and that's what Jesus was telling telling all the Pharisees. He says, listen, you guys look good on the outside. You're really whitewashed tombs because you're far from me on the inside. And the kingdom of heaven is not external, it's all internal. It's all what you believe. It's righteousness, peace, and joy, not worshiping on a mountain. Where is it? Here, in the spirit. The kingdom's in the spirit. And you can enjoy it right now is what he was trying to say. So you guys understand that? So what he was saying is, hey, I'm going to bring death to this this, uh, fig tree, this thing that you have to perform to produce fruit because it cannot bear fruit. And I'm going to remove that thing and cast it into the sea where it dies. Self-performance is going to die. Does that make sense to you guys? It's not about your level of faith trying to talk to the fig tree, making it go jump into the ocean. I've never seen anybody do it. Even the best of the best faith guys. Like, when would you cause the tree to jump in the ocean? So why are you teaching that? Teaching, there is a truth that you, you start to create what you believe, but that creates unbelief. It's like, you know what, if you had just a little bit of faith, then you could make that tree. Well, then none of us, none of us have faith because, I, I, I don't know, Joe, when's the last time you told a tree to jump in the ocean, it did it for you? Neither can I. Weird, right? So what does that do? It starts to put pressure on you versus just, you know what? Oh, just chill out and let him do his thing. Let, just you be you. I'll put a desire in you, and I will will it, and I will do it. You just chill out with me. It's so good, isn't it? And I, again, I look at my kids, and they're you know they're, Solomon's 18, and it's like, what are you going to do with your life? And, and uh, as a father, if I go, Dad, I really want to go do this, what do I tell them? Perfect. You'll be great at it. Whatever you set your mind to do, you can do. I don't go, listen to me. When's the last time you heard my voice? Go back to that, and you do what I tell you to do, and be obedient. What a jerk dad. Does that make sense to you guys? We put so much pressure on us versus just, he's going to put a desire in your heart. Love never fails. He goes, he will give you the willpower, and he'll do it through you. You just get to participate. It's a relational thing. Does Does that help you guys? So anyway, all right. So I just wrote, performance-based Christianity cannot bear fruit. It's the old fig tree. Jesus cursed that thing, said that it looks good, but it will never produce. It looks good, doesn't it? Hey, I pray more. I fast more. I set aside time. Uh, I set aside a devotional time, etc. I've never been happier in my life when I'm just singing to him all day. Sometimes I do devotional. Sometimes I don't. But I'm pretty happy, right? Aren't we? Like, how often do you do this together? uh I think we did it at the Air Force Academy in 1990. That's the last time you did that with your wife? Well, she wasn't even my wife then. I was still trying to get her to be my wife. That's why I did it. So what do you do all these religious things? We don't. We have a pretty good relationship, don't we? We're pretty secure? I think. <laughs> See, we just live, it's like natural. Does that make sense? And anyway, when you just love people and you're not under this performance-based stuff, you will actually produce more fruit. You actually produce more. It's really interesting. So anyway, legalism looks good, but the Bible says this is, this is, uh, oh, I wrote, it leaves you rigid and leaves you uncompassionate. And so anyway, let's go through a couple of these uh, parables. So Jesus is the exact opposite. He came to show us what love and compassion truly look like. We'll maybe go through two, not three. So, let's go to Luke 4, 17 here a minute. And I'm going to read out of the message. Uh, Luke 4. Anyway, so Jesus goes out into the desert, right? And uh, no food, no drink. The devil tempts him. Hey, you can have all this stuff. You can have all this. He doesn't do it. So he's not like the first Adam, where the first Adam was in the, the garden with milk and honey, but wasn't deceived. He says, it's not by what I have or don't have. That makes me a son. It makes, I'm, I know I'm a son because God said I'm a, I'm a beloved son before I went into the desert. Follow me? So he comes back. And then he preaches in the synagogue, and you guys all know the story. So anyway, it says, unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Set me, so because what do the Jews believe about the poor? You're You're cursed. God's not blessing you because you're poor. So Jesus is just reversing all this stuff. He chose me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce the pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. Who are the blind? We are. We are. He's, he's delivered us out of the, the, the kingdom of darkness and put us where? Into his light. And so light is just, uh, we can see something that's been true. When Saul was killing Christians in the name of God, was he doing it based on scripture in his mind? Yeah, he's reading all these Old Testament scriptures where it looks like God's angry and says, hey, kill all the Amalekites, even all the kids. Was that ever God? No, that's why Jesus comes and he says, the prophets, Abraham, Moses, nobody knew me. Everybody had me wrong. And so I came to show you what I truly look like. I look like perfect love and forgiveness, doesn't he? So did Jesus? Uh, uh, was Jesus too holy to to look upon sin? It's weird, as you'll see in these parables, because he went in, he he hung out with the tax collector. He went into uh, the woman caught the act of adultery. He hung out with the prostitute, right? Weird if he's too angry or too holy to look at sin. He went right there. So anyway, God's spirit upon me. He chose me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He set me to announce pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the place was on him intent. Then he started in. You've just heard scripture make history. It came true tonight in this place. Now, here's what I was taught. See, he left out vengeance because that's later. Jesus came as a forgiving God now, but when he comes back, it's going to be ugly, right? Roy, act busy. (laughs) Right? Have you seen those bumper stickers? Act busy, Jesus is coming. (laughs) Did he ever change? No. No, Why did he leave vengeance out? Because that's not who he is. Jesus came to correct the record. You've heard it said this, but I say, love your enemies. You've heard it said eye for an eye, but what does I say? Love your enemies and forgive them. I'm not who you think I am. Does that make sense to you guys? If you keep reading, it says... uh, uh. Anyway, that's good. You guys get it? So there's no vengeance that you have to worry about because if Jesus didn't finish it, he didn't finish it. But did Jesus finish it? He finished it. So is there any vengeance that you have to worry about in the future? No. No, no, because he didn't show it at any time and he never changes, so he's not gonna show it again, is he not? So this is where, when you start getting like, yes, it's such a better gospel. So anyway, uh, oh wait, that's a different scripture I was reading. That's good, it's still a good one, right? (laughs) That's actually the one I was gonna read. So uh, I put the wrong scripture down on that. All right, let me go to another one. Let me just show you who he is. So let's go to Luke 19. We'll only go through two. There's no game on, though, is there? What game's on? Red Sox. Stanley Cup. Oh, Red Sox. They're not a team, Ron. Huh? We're trying to it for you tonight. I hope you do, man. You've won two, both games so far. Good job, man. There's only a couple times a year I like your team. So uh, <laughs> when, you're playing, <laughs> when you're beating the Red Sox, then I like your team. So, <clears throat> anyway, all right, so Jesus is way too holy to look at sin. Sin separates us from God, but that's weird because he goes into Jesus' house. So, anyway, uh, let's read this. Uh, you know what? It's the, it's the chapter right before. Where's the rich young ruler? That's what I, I, I shared that earlier. Is that the, that's the chapter right before? See, this, this not using slides Things is coming back to bite me. Uh, Anyway, the point I was trying to make with that versus Zacchaeus is this, is the rich young ruler comes to him, and he says, uh, and really what, was, what, what prompted me to talk about this tonight, because I'm, I'm watching all these guys talk about, uh, uh, did Jesus give? Was he, was he generous with his life, with his finances, with everything? Was he generous? And we're created in the same image, Right? And so I'm watching all these grace guys, and non-grace guys argue about giving, not giving. Well, the Bible says we don't have to tithe. I'm like, and somebody asked me this the other day. I was like, no, I would never give that little. Because that's, uh, the legalism makes you stingy. Does that make sense? So the rich young ruler says, you know what? Uh, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You guys all know the story, right? He goes, hey, wh- wh- why do you say I'm good? There's only one good it's the father it's God basically and then he says uh uh, you know the law you know how all the things you need to do to be loved by the father and what did the rich young ruler say I've done it all oh really okay it was just like Moses with you know what hey Lord we'll do everything you tell us to do just you go get the directions and we're gonna have a relationship based on the good bad tree isn't that what the Israelites told Moses that guy that mountain guy he's scary God's up on the mountain. He needs to be appeased. You just, you, we don't want to go up there because he's scary. You just tell us what we need to do. And then what did Moses, God does this. He goes, that's not how I wanted to have a relationship with you, but try these 10. And you guys know, they broke the first commandment on the way down, didn't they? So they had 15. They couldn't even get down. They had to do 10 by the time they could down. So they broke the first 10. So anyway, so he tells the rich young ruler, hey, what must I do? So if Jesus tells him to do something and he says, hey, you've missed one thing, Give everything you have to the poor, then you shall have treasures in heaven. And what did the rich young ruler do? He walked away sad, and how much did he give? Zero. Because you cannot find life by having to do something. But then you follow, he backs that up with Zacchaeus. Now, who was Zacchaeus? Tax collector. Everybody hated him, right? Because he was really, he was taking, he was t- taking running for the Roman Empire against his own people. And so anyway, let's, let's just start it here. Here's what it says. So I want to sh- contrast the difference of grace versus doing. So you'll realize there's no commands given to Zacchaeus, but once they see that the Father unconditionally loves them, forgives them, what happens? Versus the guy that says, you need to do it to be loved by God. I can't do it. And he went away sad. So Zacchaeus 19, verse 1 says, then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head text man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran up and climbed up the, what kind of tree? Sycamore tree. You know how the sycamore tree is a type of fig tree? You guys know that? So he's, try, his, he's short, so he's trying to raise his stature by doing what? Works. You guys get it? He, so he climbed the sycamore tree. Now, here's what's fascinating, too. The more I really dig into scripture, it's like, wow, there's so much good news and symbolism in here. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus comes to the Zacchaeus. Isn't that interesting? Zacchaeus, was he, was, he, was he minding his own business, really? So if you don't have to do anything, does anything work? It works better. That's what I'm trying to show you. So he'll find you. He'll come to you. So anyway, then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead climbed up a sycamore tree so he could come see Jesus. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Hallelujah, man. He he came to him, and he invited himself into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everybody who saw this incident was indignant and grumpy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Good thing grace is fun, because the rest of the Christians get really grumpy about it. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? (laughs) <laughs> the message is funny to me. So, anyway, Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I will give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay four times the damages. Jesus said, Today, healing has been done in this home. Hallelujah. No commands to give. He, Jesus just said, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to uh, show you that I love you for all the, the things. Listen, the tax collectors were some of those despised by both the Romans and the Jews. So they were total outcasts. And then when Jesus comes and says, listen, I take care of the outcasts. I keep no record of wrong. I love you, Zacchaeus. In fact, I'm going to come to your home and make my guest with you. And healing came to him. And then what happened? came generous. You guys getting the picture? That's how all the parables work. We'll do one more. So, ah. Uh, uh, I just wrote, I said, you know, when you know, when you're truly loved, when you're truly forgiven, um, you make decisions out of compassion and love. You don't have to be coerced to do it. Like when I want to give my wife a gift, I don't have to go, should I tithe? I will not tithe. Do, they do this, do this, do this. If you're still arguing about it, you don't understand it. That's why I don't, I don't like to argue about it. Because like, everybody's like, he's this and he's that. Like, he's generous. And if you truly understand how much he loves you, trust me, you'll be generous. <laughs> It just happens. Does that make sense? So, anyway. All right, let's do one more. So, oh, It's one of my favorites. John 8, 1, the woman caught in the act, because there's a part of this that I love, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, so just chill. Does this make sense to you, how to read the parables? And he'll back up one story versus law, and then he'll show you the next story under grace. That's just how he fits the Bible together, so... Uh, So here's, you guys all know this story, right? The woman caught in the act of adultery. Who is that? Us. Right? We were always the bride. We were always the woman. So Jesus went across to the Mount of Olives, but as soon as he was back in the temple, am I starting in the right place? No. Where are my notes? Oh, there they are. Oh no, let's do a different one. You guys you guys read that one up. Let's go to Luke 13. You guys okay? Yeah. <laughs> I got too many. So this was the woman bowed down for 18 years. All right. So Luke 13, let's let's start in in uh, uh, yeah. See, so this is this is a this is what happened to me this week in this this setting where I was like, man, there's a brother crying out for mercy and compassion. But the, the people were like, nope, the Bible says this. And that's where I was like, oh. Man, what are you going to do when you need mercy and compassion? You're going to hope that we do it, right? But anyway. Where they're just, it's rigid and, and it doesn't produce any life in them. Like the Bible says this and that's, I'm just telling you that performance-based Christianity versus just be you, be you. Don't try to do anything religious for a while. And just see, focus on how much he loves you and just how pleasant you start to see life to be honest with you stuff can be happening all around you but you won't be depressed it's really kind of fascinating so and even if you are guess what he'll meet you there he'll meet you there and walk you right through it he's like i don't have any issue with that i don't expect you to perform so he was teaching in one of the meeting places on the Sabbath. sabbath there was a woman present so twisted and bent over with arthritis that she couldn't even look up she had not inflicted this for how many years you guys know the story Eighteen years. What's six plus six plus six? Eighteen. What's man was created on what day? Six. But on the seventh day was what? Rest, perfection, completion. Right. And after completion, the eighth day is what? New beginning. So that's where you can you can start interpreting uh, the flood narrative and all these things a lot differently, because. After the 40-year the time period, how many people left the ark? Eight. And they sang a new song. There's new beginnings. And so anyway, it's all the same story. So there was a woman present so twisted and bent over with arthritis that she couldn't even look up. She'd been afflicted with this for 18 years. When Jesus saw her and called her over, woman, you're free, he laid Zan on her, laid hands on her, and suddenly she was standing straight and tall, giving glory to God. Were they happy about this? Performance-based Christianity is never happy about somebody else's freedom. <laughs> It's really crazy. So here was their response. The meeting place president, furious because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the congregation, Six days, there's six man's efforts again. Six days have been defined as work days. Come on, come on one of the six if you come on, on come on one of the six if you want to be healed, but not on the seventh, the Sabbath, right? But Jesus shot back, You frauds. Each Sabbath, every one of you regularly unties your cow or donkey from a stall. Leads it daughter of the water and thinks nothing of it. So why isn't it all right for me to untie this daughter of Abraham? So he's calling her a daughter of Abraham because they thought if anybody's bound, sickness, debt, they were, they were not obviously being blessed by God. Jesus goes, oh, that's bogus. All oh, that's bogus. I love everybody. I forgive everybody. I, I heal everybody. And so you frauds, each Sabbath, every one of you basically takes care of your donkey and your cow and you don't think anything of it. But what about people? I came to heal people. That's what Jesus is saying. So why is it all right for me to untie this daughter of Abraham and lead her from the stall where Satan has her tied for these 18 years? When he put it this way, his critics were left looking quite silly and red-faced. The congregation was delighted and cheered him on. Isn't that cool? See, this is what I see now so much where I'm, I'm starting to understand Scripture a little bit more, how it was really meant to be understood, in my opinion. Because if we take it as like, the Bible says it, that's it, man, we'll miss Jesus every time. Because the Bible says they couldn't heal this woman on the Sabbath, Right? Hey, come on one of the other days. Get, get healed by your own works. The six days, do your work. But don't heal on the Sabbath. So instead of being happy and rejoicing that Jesus healed this woman who was bound down for man's efforts, six plus six plus six, 18 years. See how legalism just bounds you? But you know what? When you start to know that you're perfectly loved, you're perfectly forgiven, he's never been angry, guess what? Everything starts to come about. You start to get healed, etc. Does that make sense to you guys? So let's wrap this up. Here's what I was telling you. Uh, uh, you can get to your feet. So, I just, wrote, I just wrote a couple notes here, and that what I'm trying to show is uh, um, it's okay just to be you. It's okay to just live life and live it more abundantly. You know what? You'll produce more fruit, actually. When you're not worried about trying to do this, trying to do that, and just... I know that in a marriage covenant, if I know I'm, I'm perfectly loved and we're not keeping record of wrong, I can actually love. Does that make sense? But if we're walking on pins and needles, which we did in the early part of our, our, our marriage... And then we started worrying about, did you do this? Don't do that. How great of a marriage is that? Not fun. It's not fun. God doesn't demand you do any of that kind of stuff. Well, if you don't tell them to do anything, they're not going to do anything. Yeah, they will. They'll actually do more. You'll become like Paul and says, you know what? It's not I who live anymore. It's him living through me. Because he gave me a dream. He gave me a desire. I know I'm perfectly loved now. The scales came off in a great light. I saw a great light. So I went from Saul persecuting Christians because God told me to, to what? I'm going to all Christians, the Gentiles. The people who we thought God was leaving out, that's the one I'm going to go share this really good news to. First to the Jew. Hey, guys, guess what? Good news. The Gentiles are included. <clears throat> hey, pastors, guess what? He loves everybody. <clears throat> I see it all the time now. It's like, wow, man. Let's, let's, we got we to gotta get rid of this in and out. You're in, you're out, this club thing. Say the words, see no man after the flesh is what he said. See no man after the flesh. We once believed Jesus was after that, is what Paul says, but we don't believe that anymore. So you guys get it? So, ah, <clears throat> rest. Stop trying to produce fruit by praying, fasting, serving, doing, evangelizing. Like I said, they didn't. The, the, in the early church, they weren't trying to get people in. They were trying to share... Guess what? If one died, all died. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, we beseech you on our behalf, be reconciled. He was trying to give the good news to them. He included you. Does that make sense to you guys? So he goes, be versus try to become. Most Christianity says, become by doing this, doing this, doing this. And I found that it messes with people. It messes with people. They're not secure in their own lives. When they're not, wait, you mean he perfectly loves me? Yes, and he loves your neighbor just like you too. Didn't he say that's the fulfillment of the law? Hey, love God and love your neighbor. And that's a whole other parable. Who's my neighbor? The, the priest wouldn't even help the guy who was hurt because guess what? He couldn't touch anything unclean. He went to the other side of the street. Jesus comes and shreds that idea. He says, no, no, I'm the guy. that gave him two days. On the third day, I came back. Anything you need, I'm going to give. He's, he's really that guy. So anyway, so rest. Be confident. He's loving and working through you. Even when you think you're not doing anything, he's working through you. Be you. Be loved. You are loved, so be loved you are forgiven, so act forgiven. Does that make sense? So once you realize that you're perfectly loved, then your cup starts to overflow, and guess what? You naturally love. It's not out of this obligation that I have to go do it. So I just wrote, works pastures will tell you you aren't tough on sin. We're not focusing on, in fact, I think we're we're tougher, because we're looking at sin going, we were stuck. There's no way we can do anything. With, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So I think we take it a little bit more seriously, grace preachers, and going, yeah, I don't care what you do, you couldn't do it. He had to do all of it, therefore you can't boast. Does that make sense? Because a lot of us boast. Like, when I was 13, I did this, and I did this. I was like, wait till you hear Brad's story. Man, Brad was that, at six years old, doing all this stuff, and they melt down, man. Later in life, marriage struggles and everything else. It's just sad to me. So, not focusing on getting into the word enough. Man, I'm all for you reading the Bible as long as you go. The the true word is Jesus Christ. So if it doesn't get up, if it's not identifying Jesus, you've heard it said this, but I say this, then don't get into it more. It'll hurt you. But if you get into it more, like everything has to line up with the true word of God. Go for it, man. So if I tell them they don't have to do, they won't do anything. Baloney, they'll do more. I, I really believe that with all my heart. So don't fall for that. When you feel loved, secure, you produce more fruit than when you try. You get creative in business. You focus on helping others. You naturally want to help others. You naturally love others. You naturally serve others. You're naturally compassionate. You, you're naturally generous when you, when you feel loved. So when you feel loved, your body, your mind, everything begins to heal. That's what all these parables are about. So when you're loved with no guilty conscience that the Father's judging you, <coughs> love literally starts to flow out of you. It's the, it's, it's the cup that overflows is what, what the Psalms talk about. When we feel you love because I first loved you. So when you realize that, wow, he loves me, then it makes it very easy to go love, and we naturally do it. We don't have to put any pressure on us or our kids or anybody. We'll naturally go evangelize. We'll naturally be generous. We'll naturally kick butt in life, is like I call it. So if you're not where you want to be right now, just know he's working even behind the scenes. Everything's going to work out, guys. All things work together. Does that help you guys? So do nothing and enjoy a lot of fruit. (laughs) You won't hear that in many places, but I'm telling you, it's real. I've lived it. I've lived the opposite, too. I told her, I said, man, I went backwards when I got saved. I just, Joe, we've talked about this all the time. Everything worked in your life, didn't it? You're just a happy little dude. Me, too. I was like a happy little kid. Everything worked. It just did. It was fascinating. Now I got saved. Man, it's going to be better. It's going to be saved. I'm like, oh, this. I'm going back to my Gentile ways, man. That worked, actually not that. You know what? They're so afraid that you're going to go off the wagon. I go, no, I, I fell into the wagon when I got saved. It's worse when I just know that, you know, I'm perfectly loved. Guess what? I'm more compassionate. I, I'm, I'm more generous. I do all these things better when I know I'm secure and perfectly loved. Does that, that make sense to you guys? All right. So if anybody needs prayer, I'm telling you, come up here. You don't need to be bound down. You've probably been dabbling with performance-based Christianity a little bit, that eight plus eight plus eight. The woman couldn't even stand up straight anymore. It says the law makes you weak and beggarly the spirit makes you healthy and prosperous so father we love you we praise you we just thank you that let people get it that the greatest news they could ever hear is we had it wrong nobody knew you and then jesus came to demonstrate the perfect to you that you've always loved us you've always radically forgiven us it was our conscience that needed to be cleansed not his he's never not loved us sin never separated us from us he's the life giver he lives and moves and has his being in every one of us and so just give them a better understanding of how more deeply loved they are, how radically forgiven are, that they can just rest and be themselves. And they'll produce more than they've ever done than trying to do it by religious-based Christianity. So we just say thank you in Jesus' magnificent name. <laughs>